I want to read out of the book of Psalms, chapter 139. If you turn your Bibles there, you're welcome to look on the screen as well. Psalms 139. There's an interesting passage of scripture here because I want to talk to you about the wonder of you. As we started this Christmas season out, we're starting it out with the wonder theme. And so often we look at what's wrong and we're wondering when the next thing is going to go bad and the next shoe's going to drop. And instead of having a different perspective, I wonder what God's going to do in the midst of this circumstance. I wonder how God's going to intervene. And this is the wonder today of you. You are a special, unique person. And God has made you a unique individual, put you on this planet for a purpose, by his purpose, for great works, to do his bidding on this earth. Psalms 139 verse 13 and following says, you have made me all of the, uh, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. I knew God made women. I knew it. Maybe the devil made men. I don't know, but I just, there's a, there's a sign from heaven that women were made by God. Complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They've outnumbered the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Hallelujah. The wonder of you. Father, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it is a light. And we're thankful today for the wonderful, wonderful makeup of our lives. God, we may be in a difficult season, but you have made us and created us to thrive and to be overcomers. So thank you for that overcoming strength you put in us. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's men and women said, Amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you're good looking to boot. Now just go ahead and do that. You are good looking. Thank you, Pat. You're good looking too, Pat. Even though you have hair, you won't let me shave it. I think you're good looking too. Would you give Pat a round of applause? He is just an amazing human being. I love Pat, all the worship team. And I'm just so thrilled that you're here today because you brought God in with you today. So you don't realize it, but the Bible says something interesting. In the, in the genesis of time, God breathed into a handful of dirt and man became a living soul. That word in the Greek and the Hebrew is translated in a different format, but it really means the breath of God. When God breathed life into creation, he breathed the breath of God. He didn't breathe it into the animal kingdom. He didn't breathe the ruach, the breath, into other entities. He breathed it into mankind. He said, let us make man in our own image. What God was showing us in the beginning of time, that God had a son, but he needed a family. So he planted his son on this earth to invade planet earth because he wanted to establish a family. Not a bunch of robots that would obey his every whim because they have to, but God wanted to establish the wonder of you. How creative and complex is mankind. I love what David said in the book of Psalms. He says, who is man that he's mindful of me? In other words, how, how is it that God is constantly thinking about us in all of our imperfections, in all of our mistakes? Do you know God, the creator of the universe, he breathed life into you? That means you have a purpose. You have a divine destiny. You 
you have something to accomplish. God created man and kind and he made them in his image, but he told them to do something. He told them to have dominion over everything. In other words, when Adam was given the mandate by God to have a minion, God said, I'm going to have these animals, Adam, but you are going to establish the name of these animals. You have dominion over the fowl of the air, the birds that fly, the animals that are there, things that are under the earth, things that crawl upon the earth. God gave mankind dominion. And that's important because when you understand dominion, you understand authority. And when you understand authority, you can understand God. And the complexity that we are is amazing. I just wrote down a few thoughts this morning that I think will, will interest us today. But your body, your actual physical body, the one that God breathed Ruach, the life into, your body is made up of seven octrillion atoms. Now, what does that mean? Do you know how an atomic bomb is made? It's when an atom is crushed. An atom by itself is powerless, but crush that atom and you can destroy the earth. Christians by themselves are powerless, but when you put your hand in the hand of God and allow him to take your life and crush it, you become like Jesus and you become effective in the kingdom of God. Now think about that. If one atom being split in half makes an atomic bomb, what can seven octillion atoms do? That's seven followed by 27 zeros, by the way. God has made you so complex, so intricate. There are seven, 37 trillion cells in your body. Stomach acid that you have can dissolve metal. Some of you experienced that on Thanksgiving, eating at your relative's house. You're like, oh my gosh, my stomach. And it's because what's in came out of that meal. Your stomach had to dissolve the metal that they called Thanksgiving meals. Do you know there are trillions of nerves powering your memory? Studies have shown that after viewing 2,500 images for only three seconds, participants could recall those images with 92% of accuracy. That's why the book of Job said, I'll let no evil thing come before my eyes. Long before medical science had sparked it and told us about it, God put it in Job that he knew that Job's sensory with his eyes, that he had to keep no evil things in front of him. Some Christians haven't learned the lesson to keep evil away from their eyesight, away from what they're looking at, away from what they're putting in. Because what goes in comes... And what comes out goes in. It's not what you're eating. It's what's eating you. You have to be careful of what you let come upon you. This is an amazing part of our makeup. Now think about this. Our eyes can distinguish between 2.3 and 7.5 million different colors. We spend 10% of our day blinking. How is that important? Because God said like a twinkling of an eye, a blink, you'll be caught up from this life into the next life. So what God is saying, if your eyes are blinking literally thousands of times a day, 10% of the day it's blinking, how quickly will the Son of Man come back for his church in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, where the trump of God shall sound, the voice of the archangels will split the heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. God's got it all covered. Now think about this. Your nose can has distinctions between a hundred trillion different smells. When Jennifer and the girls take me into those uh, crazy candle stores, my nose hates it because all those crazy smells, and then they light all those candles in the house, and I'm like, oh my gosh. 
This one smells bad. This one smells worse. This one smells like I don't even want to say it. But there's something so unique about how God created us. Now think about this. Our heart beats 100,000 times per day, pumping 5.5 liters per minute. It adds up to 3 million liters of blood a year. If all of our DNA was uncoiled and it would stretch out 10 billion miles from Earth to Pluto and back, our DNA, if it was stretched out, 650 muscles are in the body. 99% of all human body is made up of six elements. Why is that important? Because God says six is the number of man. In the, numa in the numerical Bible, uh, Bible study of numbers, we read about the number of man is what? Six. Why is that important? Because God said you and I are made up of six elements. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. What's the point in that? 60% of our human body is water. Not only is it made up of water, our brain and our heart are composed of 73% of water. Our lungs are 83% of water. Our skin contains 64% of water. What's the point? Jesus said, if you come to me, I'll give you the living water that will never run dry. God has already established us that we're made up of this wonderful, unique complexity. It's so amazing. Do you know the human brain weighs 3.3 pounds? Some people diet and they lose weight in the wrong place. Some of you get that on the way home. What's the point? God established it in the book of Psalms, but he also established with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was told by God, there's a word for you, Jeremiah. I have a word for you, he says. And in this word, it's a message from heaven that I knew you before I formed you in my mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You say, well, that's only meant for Jeremiah. No, it's not. It's meant for every one of us that before the foundations of the world, God knew you. Your mother may have not wanted you. Your daddy may not have wanted you. But God Almighty, before the foundation of the world, before your mom and dad ever had a milkshake together with the same straw looking across the table from one another, God said, I knew you, I've ordained you, and I've appointed you, and I've called you to be an influencer among the nations. God wouldn't have put you on the earth if he didn't have something for you to accomplish. God has established something with you that is so important. Life and legacy. Life and legacy. I told us last Sunday about the wonder of heaven. Do you know in heaven, not only will we know each other, but we're going to have a body in heaven. You think this is a glorified body? I don't think so. You know in heaven, I'm going to have a beautiful head of hair. Not only am I going to have a beautiful head of hair, but I'm going to have a glorified body. There's nothing glorified about bodies on this earth. We spend trillions or excuse me, billions of dollars to get this thing lipoed out, rearrange this thing, make our eyes look bigger, our nose nosier to enhance our features and hide our flaws. Get this thing sucked, get this thing tucked, and at the end of the day, it doesn't look any better anyway. That's why you need to pray for the resurrection. Anybody want to help me there? You can dial it all up. You can dye the hair, buy the hair, however you work it. But only until the resurrection will we get our new glorified body. Yes, the ladies are saying amen to that. But what's the point? The point is this, there's such complexity in how God made us. That in the first Adam, God gave him dominion. But that dominion was intercepted by the enemy. 
And when that enemy intercepted that dominion, God had a plan to get that dominion back. But when he had the plan to get the dominion back, he didn't keep the dominion for himself. He gave us the keys. And he gave us the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He gave us dominion over everything on this earth. How wonderful are you that the creator of the universe gave you dominion? Some of you are waiting on God and God says, no, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on my son and my daughter to take their God-given dominion. What's bound on earth will be bound in heaven. What's loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. God says, I'm waiting on you. So what's the church hold up? The church is held up by bingos, budgets, and book reviews. And the church is held up by religious living, worldly living, and not godly Christ-centered living. What's the problem with that? The problem is that when you look into the mirror, you're looking at the wrong things. God says, I knew you before the foundation of the world. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and give you a fantastic future. If you can get that scripture in your heart, that's the theme scripture for the Lord's Gym City Center. That's the scripture that we put on those walls so that it gets in the heart of those kids and adults over there. So they would realize God's not in heaven with a baseball bat ready to slam you every time you make a mistake. But God has created you with such intricacy, such beauty, such wonderful creativity that he says, I have plans for you. Plans that will prosper you. Plans not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and to give you a great future. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says you are created in Christ, a workman, a, a, a workmanship. You're created in Christ to do great things for you are God's what? Masterpiece. So often we look into the mirror, we see all of our mistakes. Joey, I'm no masterpiece. I've made too many mistakes. I've gone through a divorce. You're still a masterpiece. Joey, I've, I've sinned too deeply. I've got this addiction. I've got this thing going on. I, I've just, I've blown it with God. You're still a masterpiece. Joey, I didn't get my prayers answered. You're still a masterpiece. See, some of you have, have requests out there and it's delayed, but it's not denied because you're a masterpiece. And if you're a masterpiece, he's created you new in Christ Jesus so you can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. You see, God had you on his mind long ago. Before you ever came to church on Sunday, before you ever got it right, that you think you've got it corrected or moving in the correctional state and the right state, God said, I've already had you on my mind. I've already thought about you. I've already planned things for you. See, I've got something for you to do. That's why there are two great days, the day you're born and the day you find out what you are born for. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's what the Ignite Hope campaign is all about. It's a movement. So you would realize that you are the light of the world that Jesus established on this earth, that you shine that light before men so men and women will see your good works and glorify your Father which are in heaven. We're not saved by works, but friends, we're saved to do work. That's why the scriptures say in the book of Revelation, let nobody take your crown from you. That includes you taking the crown that God has given you and you throwing it away. Because you do not think that you're worthy to take your crown. You may not be worthy, but Christ is worthy. You may not feel like you won the victory, but Christ has already defeated death. He's defeated hell. He's defeated the grave and he's given you the dominion. Can I get a witness this morning? So what brings the wonder out of you to glorify him? Because I had to think about this because if we've been fearfully and wonderfully created in Christ, what brings the wonder of you out 
so you can glorify him. You know, there are really some elements that we can learn from to bring the wonder of God out of our lives. Because the next time you think about God giving you a miracle, you have to look into the mirror and realize you are a miracle. That you are a miracle of God. You may not feel like you're a miracle. You may not realize the miracle capacity, but you're a miracle of God. See, some of you shouldn't even be alive right now. Some of you shouldn't even be here right now. The enemy has already put a death warrant out on you. He's put search and destroy missions out on many of God's chosen people. But the very fact you're here today, the very fact you brought God with you when you came to the house today is proof positive that God's not finished with you. That God has got a great plan and a great purpose. He's got something for you to do today that nobody else is assigned to do but only you. That's why the Bible says don't let anybody take your crown from you. God forbid he'd have to get somebody else to finish my assignment. My assignment on this earth is God-ordained, designed specifically for El Baldio, Joey, to get it done. And in that assignment, I have to stay at rest. So how can I bring the wonder of God out of my life to glorify him? Faithfulness. Faithfulness makes you and I available to God. There's something about being faithful that gets God's attention. Have you ever had something happen at your house and, you know, it just, it's not going well. So you call the, you call the repair man or woman to come and, you know, they say, hey, I'm going to show up at, at two o'clock on Thursday. And so you get off work and you try to prepare to get there. You get arrangements for the kids because two o'clock on Thursday, they, they say they're coming. Two thirty comes. They're not there. Three o'clock comes. They're not there. You call the office. They say they're on their way, but they never show. They haven't distributed or showed faithfulness in their assignment. And so many Christians, they do the same thing. They don't realize that faithfulness makes me available to God. Faithfulness is what attracts the Holy Spirit and anointing to God's people. When I'm faithful in the little things, Jesus said, I'll be ruler over many things. Are you faithful? Are you faithful in what God's called you to do? Well, Joey, I can't be faithful because God hasn't fulfilled the promise that he said before. Maybe that's the reason that God hasn't took you to the next level because you haven't finished the first level. And there's something about being faithful. Listen to Psalms 101 verse 6. It says, my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. Not only may they dwell with me, but God says, I've got my favor upon them. I've got my favor upon the faithful. One translations in the scriptures tell us that the faithful of God are the heroes of the land. Every worship leader, every usher, every greeter, every time you get up and go to work, every time you help with the children's ministry, every time you help do God's bidding and do God's business, God calls you faithful. And he says, you are the faithful of the land. And when you're faithful in the little things, I'll make you ruler over many things. And then there's coming a place of entering into the joy of thy Lord. How do you enter into the joy of the Lord? By being faithful. By being faithful in what God's called you to do. If God's called you to do it, do it with all of your heart. That's why I tell people here at the church, our staff, I tell them at the city center, I say, number one thing you need to realize is who you work for. You're not working under men. You're working under God. Who's your boss? He's a Jewish carpenter. His name is Jesus Christ from Calvary. He is in charge. He's not up in heaven saying, let's make a deal. He's saying, this is the deal. And he is in charge. Remember who you work for. And after you remember that you're not working under man, you're working under God, then God says, be faithful in what I've called you to do. 
Be faithful in the little things. Be faithful of that time that, you, that you're spending with me. Be faithful when I tell you to bless somebody. I tell you to help somebody. Be faithful in that. Be, be a faithful person. God calls faithful heroes. Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things get added back on to us. That's the faithfulness of the Lord. And after I'm faithful in the little things, I'll be ruler over many things. But not only does faithfulness make me available to God, then there has to be this connection with God. And prayer keeps me connected with God. How many of us know that prayers and people of prayer and praying can be boring? You know, I'm a different kind of pastor. I tell you what pastors really think. They just never tell you when they pass it. They do it with these and thous, thou says, and they just muck it up with all religious nonsense. But many people, the reason why prayer times, prayer services are like backing up over hit and run victims. Nobody ever comes to prayer services because they really do not think their prayers will get answered. And the reason why they don't think their prayers don't get answered because they've never taken time to really pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. How many of you women in this audience know that if you have a husband or a boyfriend that you've got to badger him without ceasing to get something done? Oh, all the ladies should say amen to that. You know what? I'm preaching better than you're letting on. But it's true. Because men have a nothing box that just kind of forgets certain things. It's, and children, especially teenagers, they have selective hearing. You know, you go tell them, hey, go take out the garbage. Huh? Huh? Walk away like they didn't hear it, but you tell them, hey, you want to go to the mall? Yes! Before you can even get mall out. They're, yes! They're in the car with your credit card. What's the point? The point is, if you really understood the power of prayer, you would be a person that once you pray it, you believe it. And when you receive it into your spirit. Because prayer is the key. It unlocks the storehouse of God's grace and God's power. All that God is and all that God has is available to every man, woman, boy, and girl who prays. That's why prayer does not need proof. Prayer needs practice. Prayer simply needs practice. It's practicing the presence of God. When the worship team, Pastor Tyon, it's getting you acclimated to what it means to worship. Not just be spectators, but to be engagers. It's the same with prayer. Waking up every day, thanking God for his goodness. Not telling him all your requests, but thanking God for his goodness. Being a person of prayer. Because if you're honest today, many of you pray each day, but you pray a couple of minutes and then you run out of things to pray. Anybody with me this morning? Some of you aren't being honest. Or you start praying the same thing over and over. Lord, bless my family, bless this, bless that, bless the business, bless this, bless that. And you're running out of things to pray. But can I tell you there's another level for you to go to? There's another level of Romans 8.26. It says, likewise, the Spirit knows our weaknesses. Our weaknesses, our mental capacity, our mental capacity to, to pray those things that are not as though they are. It says, likewise, the Spirit knows our weaknesses, for we know not to pray as we ought to, but the Spirit itself, that's the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for us with groanings which we cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts, he knows that what's in the mind of the Spirit is because he is making intercession for us, the saints of God, according to the will of God. So what am I telling you? I'm saying there is a prayer language that all of God's children could lock into when you don't know how to pray and that prayer language kicks in every believer can do it 
But sometimes we just shut ourselves off because we've been taught the wrong things or we just think, no, I've got to press in. I've got to press through. And how much can your, pre your flesh press? When you're not getting those answers and those things are not coming your way, you're going to get weary in well-doing. So there has to be a portion of your, your prayer time is just all day, every day, that you continue to thank God for his goodness. And you thank God for his kindness towards you. And you stop looking at what's wrong and you start focusing on what's right. And then when God gives you this beautiful heavenly language, it's called a, a praying spirit, a gift of that spirit. You start praying in that tongue, not a, not a tongue that requires prophecy that scriptures tell us, but the prayer tongue when you don't know how to pray as you ought to. So you're to pray in the name of Jesus. You're to pray according to the word and the will of God. You're to pray in faith believing. You're to pray specifically. You're to pray in agreement and you're to pray in the spirit. And in that spiritual prayer, it's as simple as this. And I, a lot of pastors, they don't do this because they're not spiritual enough to tell you. Some of you get that on the way home. But all you have to do to get that beautiful language is stop speaking English. And if you speak a second language of Spanish or any other one, you stop speaking that language and you let the spirit that's inside of you that already you've received its salvation kick out of you. And you begin to speak in that unknown tongue as the spirit of God gives utterance. It's not a white knuckle experience. It's not a complicated thing. You don't necessarily need hands laid upon you. That's for your faith to ignite. But it's not a necessary thing to happen at all times because hands have already been laid upon you. The hands and feet of Jesus have been laid upon you. And when you receive Jesus, that same Jesus that you have him as Savior, the same one you had him as baptizer, when you went down as a dry sinner and you still came up a wet one, and when you went down in the water and you came back up, that same Jesus that you received, received at salvation, the same one you received at the baptizer is the same one you received that fills you with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I've never been taught that. But here's the thing. All you have to do is be faithful in the little things. And when you're faithful, God wants his people to stay the course, to stay faithful in the things of God, stay faithful in the little things. And when you're faithful in the little things, God helps you to elevate you. And after that, just be a person of prayer. And if you don't, if you run out of things to pray or your prayer consists of boring things, then say, God, fill me with your spirit. Give me that prayer language so I can pray with an utterance that I do not know where my spirit is connected to the Holy Spirit. No longer am I talking unto man. I'm talking unto God. And see, there's a difference there. And I think you need to be taught that. But you also need to know it's not a white knuckle experience. It's not necessarily a Sunday night, a backroom experience. If somebody wants to be filled with the Spirit and you want to speak in that tongue, come to the back room at 7. Or they say the silly thing is, that's the evidence of salvation. That's not true. That's never been true. Good-meaning people fall victim to a bad theology. God says, when you receive my son, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation chapter 3. If anybody hears my voice, we're coming in. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're coming in and we're having supper with them. And when we're having supper with them, that means whatever you ask the Father in prayer, believe you shall receive and you shall have it. So all you have to do is say, Father, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you give good gifts to your children. You have fearfully and wonderfully made me. And I believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Father, baptize me in that Holy Spirit, baptize me afresh and anew. See, that's what some of you old fuddy-duddies need. 
You need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You need a fresh outpouring of God. Some of you come alive in Jesus if you got a dose of the Holy Ghost. Some of you would never be the same if you would realize that God doesn't want you living a stagnant, pathetic life. That he has created you wonderfully and fearfully to do great works on this earth. To make no small difference. All of us cannot do great things in the eyes of men. But all of us can do great things in the eyes of God. And we do great things in the eyes of God by being faithful. And by connecting with him in prayer. And my third is, this is important as we close, serving helps people through me see God. See, that's the importance of serving. Not so all the things of the church will get done. Because if you're only serving in church, you're not serving for the right reasons. I'm the same way I'm this way as I am at home. The staff gets around me, I'm the same way in staff meetings that I am right here. I don't put on a show here and then go out the doors and say, oh, I'm really humble and meek and mild. Oh no, something ticks me off, I get upset. And you hear about it. And then you hear about it again. And then Jennifer has to say, calm down, Joey. And I say, okay. What's the point? The point is God has made us fearfully and wonderfully for a purpose. You don't have a personality like mine. Some of you need to thank God for it. You don't have a disposition like mine. You're not equipped to carry what I'm called to carry. You're not called to carry somebody else's weight. You're called to carry yours. And that's why serving, when you serve the Lord, it's not a, it's not a thing out of religious obligation. It's something that Jesus said the greatest among you will be. You'll be the servant of all. When you mention the word servant to a 21st century world, they, see, they think of somebody bent over in spirit, somebody crushed, somebody that's wrinkled up, a human mule, a mindless ox. They think of a man or a woman who's three french fries short away from a happy meal. That's what they think of when they think of servant. But Jesus is telling you and I something today that is important. And I worded this specifically for you to get. I'm going to read it again. Serving helps people through me see God. It helps. I'm a first-generation Christian, a first-generation believer. And when I gave my heart to the Lord on May 18, 1997, my life was forever changed. I came down to the front of a church and I went to a knee. I've never been to church in my life. I had no religious upbringing. I had no Christian upbringing never been to church. I wasn't raised in church. I thought my dad hated us. He hated himself. I thought he just absolutely couldn't stand life because of the reflection that he saw in the mirror. It affected everybody in that household. But when I gave my heart to the Lord, I started going where the things of God were. I came to church every time the doors were open. I made church a priority. I read my Bible every day. I didn't even know what I was reading, but I read it. I did what I could to serve the Lord. That next Sunday, my dad, the reflection of so much pain and hurt and anger, he gave his heart to the Lord. But you know, that process of all those years, he was in his 50s at the time. All those years of living a certain way, it's hard to break those things. And I'll never forget the conversation that him and I had shortly after. Because our first Lord's Gym, this is one of, we helped start the one in Roseville and we have others that we've helped organize and start. 
their outreach centers to help communities. And the first Lord's Gym that I got invited to there in the Sacramento area, I started helping. And then I got Jennifer involved and she started working for me over there. But I started helping and they didn't pay me. I wasn't on salary. I wasn't the church salary. I wasn't on staff at the church. And I'll never forget because I just would help. I just, I just wanted to be around the things of God. I was 320 pounds. I had hair. That's why I know there's, there's bad stuff going on in the body. I used to have hair and it was, you know, I, I got tattoos that are just, you know, so I'm an intimidating guy back then. And the pastor would have me ushering and I would scare people down the aisles. I would wait until they put money in the bucket. I'd look at them like, Pastor, pastor Doug was my pastor. He said, you're the best usher I've ever had. It wasn't like, hey, oh, you don't want to? I was like, no, put something in, fool. He was like, you were my best usher. You were scaring Jesus' gifts right out of him. So I was there. I was ushering on Sundays. I was helping at the gym throughout the week. And my dad that just gave his life to the Lord. You know what he told me? He said, those people at the church need to pay you. You're working there, you're doing all the work. He said, they need to pay you. Why? Wrong reflection. He said, they need to pay you. And I never forget my conversation when I said, oh, daddy, I said, the Lord's been too good to me. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't need to get paid. I'll do whatever it takes. I just wanna be around the things of God. And you know what that did to that man? It changed him. It changed him. Because I wasn't waiting for a paycheck on this earth. I was letting God use me in his service to do something that I've never done before. Serving, helping. I used to do 23 hours set times of going into UPSs and things. And I can go down the list of things I would do that was madness back then to make to make that outreach center go well and do well and did everything I could to serve and help. Maybe that's a reason why God is elevated today. Could it be a reason why you've been hindered in your day today? Because God's called you to serve somewhere. He's called you to do something and you keep refusing to do it. He's called you to give, you keep refusing to do it. He's called you to help the church, you keep refusing to do it. But you have to realize there are people that see God through you. I realize everywhere I go, people see God through me. Everywhere I go, and there's not many places I could go in Stockton, you know, look at this. They know me. And, I, and it's a good thing, but there's a reflection that I have. It's a reflection of God. And when I serve, it helps others see God. And that's what God's calling us all to do. Are you gonna serve me? Are you gonna serve my church? Are you gonna help build a legacy? Are you gonna spin your life, spinning your wheels, thinking you're not qualified and you're not deserving and you don't have what it takes and you've made too many mistakes and on and on the enemy will lie to you because of the bad reflection that you see. And God's calling you to greater things. God's calling you to another level. And today in faith believing, maybe it's time that you really dig in before this year's over and say, God, I'm going to be faithful in what you've called me to do. 
God, I'm going to keep prayer as a priority. And I'm going to ask you if I, I don't have that, I'm just going to say, God, fill me with the Spirit. And it's not going to be a crazy, that the whole church needs to have that. It's not for a few group to come up front and do it and cause everybody else anguish because they're loud and out of control. We'll shut that down because we don't want you to be conflicted other than Jesus. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm just, everybody should have it. It's not just for two offenders, two spiritual people. It's for everybody. Did you hear what I'm saying? I hope I worded that right. I just, it's not for a remnant of the church. It's not a, a remnant of older people or a remnant of certain people. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. That's what I was trying to communicate. I don't, I don't mean offending, but I, I do mean it as it's just for everybody. And everybody needs to find a place of service. Whether you're serving at home, at work, in your life, you need to have a place of service.